Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Dan Butner, a man who needs no introduction for our audience particularly, but you have a new book out, The Blue Zones Way. I knew I was going to get that wrong. The Secrets of Living Longer. You have been sharing these secrets for quite a few decades now, a couple decades since when did your first book come out? 20, 20 something. And now you have a new Netflix. So you're bridging into a new um, medium with a Netflix special coming out on August 30th. I am super excited about that. I'll certainly be tuning in as I know many in the audience will as well. I'm sure it's really a busy time for you. So thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time with us this afternoon. I'm delighted. I'm thrilled. And and by the way, you know, it has been 20 years since I wrote the cover story for National Geographic on Blue Zones. You know, the first part was just identifying these areas where people live the longest. But then in in finding out how they do it, it's an ongoing science. So that book you were just right. holding a minute ago uh, represents 20 years of research. And uh, most of it is all within the last five years. It doesn't even appear in previous books. So the yeah. thing is, once you identify with scientific certainty that people are living extraordinarily long-lived, it attracts scientists from all over the world. And I get a front row seat to the to the latest research. And that book really harvests the latest. There's probably 20 new insights there that I've never published before. Yeah, and, and they're getting better. I mean, it's it's a beautiful book. I mean, I'm so glad that you guys took the time to really, you know, bring the sights and colors to to the to the reader because it I think just brings to life the the topic. So um, I'm really excited. I got to to read that over the weekend, and I'm going to try to get get a little deeper in this conversation because I know you've been um, saying the the same thing uh, for 20 years, and I want to bring some new content like you have with this book to our audience. But I have to first start for the very rare person who hasn't heard of Blue Zones. Can you give us the the 30 second elevator pitch and what are the the, the ways in which those those people are eating and living that is contributing to having the highest number of centenarians and, and more importantly, the largest health span, I think you would also agree with. Well, instead of, you know, people are really interested in longevity and anti-aging. Instead of looking for insights in test tubes or biohacking or, or Petri dishes, uh, we hired under the aegis of National Geographic, a team of demographers to find the statistically longest of the areas. And because only about 20% of how long you live is dictated by your genes, the other 80% is something else. Um, then we recruited a second wave of scientists to help us go into each of these places and find the correlates or the common denominators in all five of the original blue zones. And the blue zones we identified were Sardinia, Italy, longest lived men, Okinawa, Japan, the longest lived women, Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, uh, they have about half the rate of middle-aged mortality, spending about one-fifteenth the amount we do on healthcare. Uh, Ikaria, Greece, another long-lived island, but no discernible dementia. And then uh, in the United States, among the Seventh-day Adventists of Loma Linda, California. And remarkably, no matter what continent you're on, 
you see the same longevity sort of trends, the same general lifestyle. And uh, that's sort of the, the pillars of, of the Blue Zone's work. And, and quickly tell us those, those pillars, if you would. Well, they're eating mostly, and this is from a meta-analysis in all the Blue Zones, 155 dietary surveys over the last 100 years. They're eating mostly a plant-based diet, uh, 90 to 98%, depending where you are, uh, whole food plant-based, very little meat, perhaps five times a month as a celebratory food, uh, much less fish, no cow's dairy in any Blue Zone. Um, but more important than how they eat, and eating is very important, it's how they connect. Um, they, they tend to belong to faith-based communities. They keep their, uh, they, they put a huge premium on the immediate family. They curate their immediate social circle, their circle of friends. They're very careful about these things and, and who we hang out with has an enormous and measurable impact on how we live. They don't exercise. And this is the, the, the component of blue zones that I think is most disruptive and also offers the biggest, I would say, opportunity for Americans, 23% uh, of Americans, um, only 23% of Americans get the minimum amount of physical activity, which is about a 20 minute walk a day. What we're doing ain't working in this country. The people in blue zones all get plenty of physical activity and they do so because of their environment. They live in environments where every time they go to work or a friend's house, they walk, they have gardens out back. Um, they um, do their own handwork, their own yard work, their own kitchen work, et cetera. So uh, they're moving every 20 minutes, uh, burning more calories than, we're, than we burn. Um, they have sacred daily rituals to reduce the stress of everyday living. So they sleep better. They have less depression, far less suicide. In fact, I don't know of any suicide. And um, um, they drink a little bit and they have strategies to keep from overeating. So it's a very organic and environmentally driven type of longevity. But the value proposition, Matt, believe it or not, it's about 10 years. Um, if, yeah. if we're talking to an average audience right now uh, and you're living an American lifestyle, you can live somewhere between 10 and 14 more years if you adopt the Blue Zone lifestyle. Right. And when we're looking at, at best, you know, 70s and 80s for most people, and that's not even talking about, you know, living with morbidities for quite a long while. That's a, that's a healthy return on investment, right? And I think what's most striking to me is that it's not hard. You know, a lot of diets, a lot of lifestyles that are presented as interventions um, are really rely on discipline and deprivation. But, but I think your work has brought to light that it's so much more about kind of living with a, a verb and, and a vitality and enjoying, like you say, community, belonging, wine at five. Um, I, I'm curious, as we just say at the general level briefly, why do you think that the blue zones as a, as a concept, as a, as a, frankly, a cultural phenomenon, focus so much on the diet, right? And when you really look at it holistically, I, I mean, it sees, it sees, behaviors it's this full lifestyle taking a conjunction that is is so much more than just a different way of eating why do you think the diet part gets so much press i think the runway for most people's health changes through their mouths 
Uh, you know, my first two books had very little to do with diet. And then I decided to write this Blue Zones Kitchen and it became a number one New York Times bestseller. And, and I, the reason is, I think, rather than try to swim upstream with the, the other concepts that I lead with food, but then quickly follow with the scaffolding uh, or the bigger sort of matrix of characteristics that are producing long-lived people. Um, the problem with diets, and you know, I would say the Blue Zones diet is very close to a, well, any plant-based diet. Um, it's, you know, 98% whole, basically whole plant-based foods. But the problem with trying to take a diet, there's no diet in the history of the world that I've been able to find it works for more than single digit percentages, maybe 5% of people after two years. So, you know, and there's nothing you can do this year or next that's going to make you live longer. You have to think about things you're doing your entire life. People in blue zones are eating this way because their lives are underpinned with purpose. They have vocabulary for purpose. They surround themselves with people who reinforce this way of eating. So in other words, people in blue zones aren't, you know, hanging out with people at the bar eating chicken wings, watching TV, or they're not uh, in the backyard barbecuing wieners and, and, and slamming beers. Uh, Blue Zones foods are peasant foods. They're beans, grains, greens, tubers, nuts, et cetera. That'll make them taste delicious. But part of the reason it's easy is their food environment, the cheapest, most accessible, and by the way, most delicious. I think that's why that my book, The Blue Zone Kitchen, did so well. It's because much of their genius lies in making this, in this uh, peasant food taste good. And, uh, but notice I didn't bring up, as you pointed out, I didn't bring up discipline. I didn't put up presence of mind or weighing your food or trying to get the carbohydrate protein mix right. They just ate food, uh, but they made it taste delicious and they made it easy. And that's the Blue Zones way. Yeah. Um, and just to go a little bit more specific, tell us a little bit about that whole foods plant-based diet. I know beans, which is my particular favorite, beans is high up there, but there's also, you know, these, these animal products and, and our listeners are likely, you know, predominantly vegan, vegetarian, plant-centric, however they want to define themselves. It's, it's, it's definitely a plant-forward audience. And so the thing that I think is always on that person's mind is, well, how do they get away with eating pork and cheese and fish in cases? And, and I think the answer, and I, I just want to get you to expand on it a little bit more, is that, you know, it's, it's, the, it's that context. Again, it's not like it's an, you know, a, a, a huge portion of meat in every meal. And in the case, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe it was in, in Greece where they're, they're rendering that pork for three days and skimming off the fat, right? And so there's a treatment with the dairy, there's a probiotic element to it. And it's again, within this, this, um, this lifestyle that kind of works for them. I'm curious, as you obviously uh, promote a, a plant forward diet, a plant slant, help us kind of wrestle with this. And how do we, how do we talk to the mainstream American who says, Oh, well, look in the blue zones, you know, it's totally cool. They're eating and drinking and everything is fine. 
Yeah, so I'll say a few things. First of all, the blue zones in the last 10 years have changed. The Okinawa blue zone, for example, is no longer a blue zone because they started eating more like Americans. But I'm, I'm interested, if, if you want to know what a 100-year-old ate to be 100, you have to know what she was eating when she was a little kid and a young adult, middle-aged, newly retired. So the work I did, this meta-analysis, uh, uh, harnessed 155 dietary surveys. So what we saw, what they're eating over time. Uh, the average American eats about 220 pounds of meat a year. That's just, that's just obnoxiously too much. In blue zones, they eat meat on average five times per month. It's a celebratory food. Uh, usually it's from an animal that had a name that was treated humanely, had a good life, and then a bad day, you know, and became part of the, you know, the food. And these humans needed the, the, these aggregated calories to survive in the early days, not so much anymore. Um, but they're, they, um, they're eating probably 20 pounds of meat a year. So maybe one-tenth or one-eleventh the amount of meat we do. And if every American could do that, uh, it, it would probably take 20% off of our carbon footprint. It would, it would um, vastly reduce, you know, by a factor of nine or 10, the cruelty to animals. Uh, and we probably cut the rate of cardiovascular disease and diabetes, type two diabetes, and several types of cancer in half or uh, to a third by some estimates. Um, so what doesn't work, and I've been around a lot of finger wagging vegans who will cast judgment upon you um, uh, and uh, uh, for eating a little meat here and there. Um, my experience in the blue zone is they're not afraid to eat meat. They just don't eat a lot of it. And they provide a really good evidence-based population study of what kind of a acceptable level of meat to eat for health reasons. Personally, I don't eat meat. And I learned a long time ago, you know, that people kind of look at me as a longevity expert. And if I say, and the truth, people in blue zones eat pork, people say, oh, Dan Buettner says pork is a blue zone food. They have bacon for breakfast and a pork sausage for lunch and a pork chop for dinner. So I have decided for the blue zone brand, all my books, I don't, I don't include meat in any of my recipes. And I, I personally believe we're all better off to avoid it. But I also know that it, when people are not eating blue zones, they're probably eating a little bit of meat and I don't judge them. I, uh, I heard you talk about doing a five-day fast followed by a 10-day Vipassana meditation. Um, and I am particularly interested in mindfulness more today than ever before in my life. Um, so I hope we can uh, do a, a really quick touch on, on mental health, because as you know, we have a, a real epidemic of, of mental health challenges in this country with, you know, adolescent girls reporting one out of two with hopelessness, right? I mean, one out of nine children trying to uh, take their own life at some point. Uh, I mean, it's a really, really sad state of affairs, no pun intended. Uh, I'm curious what lessons you saw, aside from surrounding yourself with that, that strong community, but you talked about purpose, obviously, um, there's some other elements to it, uh, physical exercise, not exercise in the sense that we do in the US with 
uh, an hour of heavy exertion and then a sedentary lifestyle in front of the TV. But I mean, these are these are people who are active outside. What what one or two takeaways can you call out um, that will help address some of these these mental health challenges? Well, you mentioned children. Uh, in blue zones, children aren't coddled. Uh, they're not raised by helicopter moms obsessed with their perpetual safety. Uh, kids are let loose in the neighborhood and uh, they, they play outside. They don't have play dates. Um, they, don't, they don't have music lessons. Uh, they're expected to contribute to the family. Uh, they, they actually work in the garden or work in the vineyard, work in the fields. They're expected to help around the house. You know, I, having, you know, seeing my own grandchildren and their friends raised that I, I feel sad because we actually deprive them of hardship. We deprive them of making up their own minds on things. And we often deprive them on uh, the, the, a, a little bit of danger. Now, now I'm not saying dumb danger, but I'm saying to let the kid, you know, run around the neighborhood uh, and, you know, make some new friends. Um, mental health. We know that walkability is hugely associated with how many people we interact with. And we know that our social interactions, even our, our low quality social interactions favor mental health. People are socially connected, have about a half the rate of depression, about a quarter of the rate of, of um, uh, suicide over people who are lonely. And I think being connective is way more a function of where you live. If you live in a walkable neighborhood, tree-covered sidewalks, close to coffee shops and grocery stores, you're going to bump into people all day long. And some of those people you'll have a conversation with, and some of them you might even become friends. That never happens if you live in an empty cul-de-sac where you, you know, walk through your side door into your garage, jump in your car, drive to work, park it in the underground garage, and go up to your office. So uh, once again, I argue it's your, it's your environment that's going to drive your mental health uh, much more than some pharmaceutical intervention. Um, maybe not as good as, you know, therapy if you're really thick, sick, uh, mentally challenged, but or have a mental illness, I guess is the way we should put it. But your environment drives so much of it. And we miss that in our pursuit of mental health in this country. Yeah. Do you think that happiness can can lead to health, or do you think it's the factors that create health which then lead to happiness? Do you ever think about the causation in in this nine pillar matrix that you've created? Anything that leads yes. to the other? Yeah. So I I wrote a cover story for National Geographic on on happiness in two books, and and um, I took a data backed approach, and. First of all, happiness is hard to measure. What exactly is happiness? What you can measure is something called life satisfaction, which is when asked uh, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being your best imaginable life, how do you rank your own happiness? And people in the blue zone rank you know, usually eight and above. So they're very satisfied with their lives. And happiness and, and longevity are you can't you can't really pull them apart. They're they're lay, inextricable. They're laced together, and um, the same things. And that's the beauty of blue zones. You know, they, these 
Silicon Valley billionaires who are taking rapamycin and metformin and testosterone therapy and trying to biohack themselves. None of those interventions have been proven to work on humans. And even if they do, we'll be lucky if they convey a year or two of life expectancy. People in blue zones are adhering to this cluster of factors. This life, they're living 10 to 14 years longer than we are. And they're doing it by living purpose-driven lives, socially connected, active, feeling good because of their diet, uh, uh, connected to their community and their families, spiritually rich. So uh, I'd say there's about an 80% uh, uh, overlap between the things that drive our happiness that also drive our longevity. Awesome. Um, I know you have spent a, a good bulk of your career now trying to implement both study and implement sort of a, a blue zones culture. I think it's so amazing how you describe it that, you know, what you have to do is, is make the, the healthy decision, the easy decision. Unfortunately, in this country, we've, we've done the opposite, right? Where comfort and convenience we've created, you know, what, what some would say is, is an ideal lifestyle, but, but actually is totally mismatched to our physiology right? And is leading us down, uh, you know, a very sad path where obviously, like you say, I think you said it was one uh, fifteenth of the healthcare spend in Costa Rica, right? Where we're spending $12,000 a year on average per, per person and getting worse outcomes every year, it seems. Spending more and getting worse outcomes. I could go on forever uh, on the government societal change topic, but I know we're short on time. So I just want to ask one question and then we'll do a little lightning round if, if we may. But after working with all these municipalities, after observing, you know, a few different shifts in terms of people's appreciation for diet and interest in longevity over the past two years, what do you think is going to, going to finally force that change? If at all, maybe, maybe you're uh, unfortunately pessimistic about our our, our likelihood of adapting and evolving our, our culture here in the U.S. Yeah, the only way we're going to do it is by changing our environment. We spend $4.4 trillion a year on healthcare and, and its related expenses, 85% of which is addressing chronic disease. It's not until we change our food environment. Uh, in the United States, the number of people who our obese has gone up by a factor of three since 1980. So tripled, continues to grow. And um, it's not because in the last, since 1980, since the Reagan administration, it's not because uh, Americans have less discipline or we're dumber or, you know, we're lesser humans. It's our environment has changed. As you correctly point out, we're, we're genetically hardwired to crave sugar and fat, and salt, and take rest whenever we can. And uh, the number of fast food restaurants in my lifetime have gone up by a factor of 30. Um, the, over 50% of all retail outlets, including the place where you uh, get your tires changed or pick up your diabetes medicine, force you to go through a gauntlet of sugar sweetened beverages and candies and salty chips. And, you know, we're genetically hardwired. 
until we start taking some of that $4.4 billion and spending it on making our environment healthier, setting Americans up for success and making the healthy choice easier when it comes to both our food environment. And by the way, the healthiest foods are not expensive. They're peasant foods. And when it comes to our transportation environment, uh, we're spending double the amount of time in our cars than we did in 1980. That means we're not on our feet. And uh, it's that non-exercise physical activity that makes the biggest difference over time. Not going to the gym. It's walking yeah. to work. It's our kids walking to school. It's going to our neighbor's house, walking, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. Um, I know we, we have to cap the conversation. So if I, if I may, um, I'd love to ask you a few topics. But first, what's a day in the life after you've consumed all of this information and they, they vary, obviously. Each blue zone is distinctly different, although they have these commonalities as you bring to the fore so, so well. But which ones have you incorporated? And not in a you know hard promotional window when you're, you're launching a book and a Netflix series at the same time, but ideal life for you. Walk us through your day. Well, no matter where I am, I spend, usually I'm in Miami, but now I happen to be in Minneapolis. I live in a walkable neighborhood and, and, and I make it my business to know my neighbors. I wake up every morning and I walk to get my coffee. And then I, you know, I like to have my brain engaged. I live my purpose just doing this work. So I'm usually writing or talking to people, interviewing uh, during, the, during the day. Uh, I usually have lunch with a friend. I had lunch with a friend today. You know, I live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of restaurants very nearby. Uh, so I'll go there. Uh, in the afternoon, I'll work a little bit more. I'll take a nap. Um, and then I, my physiology, I like to work out in the afternoon. And, and my philosophy for working out, I never do anything hard because I don't think hard is sustainable. And people say um, no pain, no gain. I say the opposite. The less pain, the most gain because the most likely you're going to do it for the long run. So every day I do something I enjoy. Yesterday, I, uh, I live on this lake right here. I went and uh, stand up paddle surfed. Um, I play pickleball. Today, I go to the gym and I have a little group of friends I, I spend in the gym. I do happy hour. I, I don't actually believe this, uh, all the current propaganda that a glass or two of wine is going to hurt you over time. It certainly doesn't in blue zone. So I, I have happy hour. And then I would say most nights I'm having dinner with friends. I try to get my eight hours of sleep and, and um, uh, that's it. I take a lot of time off as well. Well, happy hour aligns at least with some of the, you know, if you're going to drink, drink earlier in the night, so it doesn't disrupt your sleep as we are starting to appreciate the, the important you know, neurochemical functions of sleep, you know, drink at five as opposed to 1030 at night. Right. So I want to ask you if we could just do a lightning round on some of those, because these are the topics that we, we see so much in. And I, I love that, you know, the blue zones and, and this new book, especially uh, stands in stark, you know, uh, contradiction to, you know, like what Peter Atia is, is suggesting, right. Where you're, you're doing two or three hours of zone two, you know, five days a week and one where you're, you're pushing zone five and you're panting. It's like exercise, exercise, exercise. And 
fasting and cold plunge. Where where do you stand on those topics? Well, like, do you... I, I challenge. I, I read Peter Atia's book. It's a good book, but I challenge Peter Atia to find me a population that does cold plunges that gets into zone two and zone five exercise that has actually lived a long time. Uh, I found five populations who do things like walk and garden, who are living a decade longer than uh, than we do. I mean, they'd still do work by hand there, so. Yeah, it's another fad that'll come and go, and um, uh, I, I don't think I don't think this uh, uh, this teeth grinding sort of physical activity and the cold plunges. You know, I know a bunch of guys a year and a half ago were fanatic about cold plunges. Exactly zero of them do it anymore. You know, it's not fun to cold plunge, so people aren't going to do it for a long time. Um, so. I- I can attest to that is is, no one looks forward to the cold plunge. (laughs) Yeah. So they'll do it on a good day or they'll do it on, you know, while they're, while it's trending and we'll forget about cold plunges, just like we forgot about the Fitbit and uh, the keto diet has fallen by the wayside and the Atkins diet, all the other fads. Um, I tried to look at populations that have been doing the same things for centuries or, but you know, Peter Atia gets it right. At the end of the day, he correctly points out that it's type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and dementia. He calls them the four horsemen that are, are killing us. And, and there's nothing, not much in his book about trying to, you know, live to 120 or whatever, like, you know, some of these other more sort of fringy doctors are. And he's right about uh, trying to, to mitigate the risk of those diseases. In blue zones, they're living a long time because they're not getting the diseases that foreshorten their lives. Peter Atias is not wrong in the, in the intervention that he, he talks about, but what he misses is how to do it for a long time. He, it, you cannot point his interventions, great theoretically, people will read his book and for six or nine months. So, you know, they'll rejoin the gym or they'll get on whatever diet he's, well, he's not big on diet, but, or, you know, even taking rapamycin or metformin or testosterone. You look at the research, nobody sticks with them. Single digit percentage people stick with them for long enough to make a difference. So it's not just what to do, it's how to do it. And blue zones, I pride myself on how to do it. We have 72 American cities over the past 15 years who've hired my company to come in and not try to convince everybody in the city to go to the gym or eat a certain diet. We change the environment so people's unconscious decisions, the micro decisions they make throughout the day are incrementally better. And in every city to a T, we measure it with Gallup, every single city, they get healthier. Healthcare costs go down, BMI goes down, obesity rates go down, incidents of heart attack go down, um, life satisfaction goes up, and uh, people save money. And that's where the rubber hits the road. Amazing. Um, I think that's, I hate to to go deeper, but two more curiosities, and then I, I promise we'll wrap it up. Um, you've commented on alcohol. What about caffeine? Do you, do you drink caffeine? Do you find those in the blue zone cultures? I mean, I, I know 
to some extent, but but how do you help the person right who's who's in the U.S. and drinking you know five or six cups of coffee a day? Is that jive? Well, so in uh, three of the five blue zones, people are drinking coffee every day, and it tends to be black, or you know they don't fill it with tree, cream or macchiato, but you know, coffee consumed before noon in moderate uh, uh, quantities, I think it's one of the, the few indulgences we can enjoy with impunity. Um, it's associated with lower rates of diabetes, type 2 diabetes, lower rates of Parkinson's. Um, it's a big source of antioxidants. And, and um, you know, it's literally a plant. You're drinking plant juice when you're drinking black coffee. Um, you know, it's a smoothie without the sugar in a way. So I'm completely thumbs up on, on black coffee. Um, just remember though, however much coffee you have in your system at noon, you have 25% of it left at midnight. So, um, you want to, you, you don't want to overdo it. And, and I, I, I personally, I, 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 except for that sip I just took, I quit drinking before noon. I'm done at usually by 10 or 11. So it's not interfering with my sleep. Right. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Um, I'll end by asking you if you've already covered so many gems of wisdom, you know, the number one you, you said was to, to bring more community into your life and look at that circle of friends and see where you need to maybe make some changes. Um, but if you had to leave the, the audience with a message, you know, a metaphorical billboard, something for them to meditate on. Um, what, what would that message be? Aside from go by the blue zone <laughs> secrets uh, uh, for living uh, longer. Uh, and obviously checking out your, your Netflix special on August 30th, but hopefully I've filibustered enough to let you think about that short quippy uh, billboard. I would say most of us would die for our children, but would we live healthy for them? Answer that question. That's what I'll leave you with. That, that is a great question. Um, thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate it. And best of luck with this grind of promotions. I'm super excited for the Netflix documentary in particular. It, first of all, it's not a grind. I had a blast talking to you. I wish I could go on for another 45 minutes. So it's an honor to talk to you. It's an honor to have people actually listen to us. And I thank them. And if people have um, follow-up questions, if they uh, direct message me on Instagram at Dan Butner, I'll answer any questions personally you might have. And, and once again, thank you. Thank you for the honor of your time and uh, your, your, your listeners. And, and um, I hope we get to meet in person someday. I love that. Thanks again. All right.